Welcome to the European Greens podcast, where we talk about the way forward to a greener and fairer Europe, together with green leaders and activists. The European Greens are a European political party that brings together national parties sharing the same green values, like democracy, feminism, support of LGBTQ+, and climate action. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, and together, let's green our future. Welcome back to the Green Talking Heads. In this episode, which is part one of two, we're taking you to the European Green Party's 35th Council. What is that? It's the highest decision-making body of our party, a biannual gathering that brings together hundreds of Greens from around the European continent. During the three days of the Council, we agree on political positions, exchange knowledge and ideas, elect a new political leadership, and also, of course, have fun together. We met for the first time in person since Corona and met in Riga, Latvia. While we were at the council, we had the opportunity to talk to some of the fantastic Greens and green-minded politicians from across our Green family. Our interviewees in this episode occupy different positions of power and represent different levels of national or European government. And we wanted to hear from them about the challenges and also successes that they each face in their different political environments. In this episode, our Secretary General, Mar Garcia, talked to three of the inspiring speakers we had at the Council. Firstly, we have Ricardo Lahn, who's co-chair of Bundes 90 Grün and member of the German Bundestag. She spoke to us about turning a political vision into governing action from the perspective of Greens who are in government in a Western EU country. Then we spoke to Virginia Sinkovicius, the European Commissioner of Environment, Oceans and Fisheries. He told us about the challenges, but also his ambitions for the EU's Green New Deal from his perspective as a key figure in the EU's executive institution. And we spoke to Dritan Abatsevich, the Prime Minister of Montenegro, who talked about how to change political mindsets, fight corruption and promote democratic values from his perspective as a green politician in government in a non-EU country. Hello, our dear uh, listeners from the Green Talking Head. We are here. We have the honor to be with uh, Ricarda Lang, and she's the co-chair of Putin's 90 Die Grünen uh, and member of the German Bundestag. So she's the co-chair of the German Green Party. Hello, Ricarda. Hi, nice to be here. It's uh, such a pleasure to have you <laughs> with us. Um, Ricarda um, herself is the uh, personification of coming from a activist background. Um, she she was the spokesperson of the German Young Greens from 2017 to 2019. And uh, she was extremely vocal and critical towards the party in questions uh, like social justice and uh, just transition, I would say. Um, and uh, she was also very close to society. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Then in 2018, she became the vice chair of the German Greens uh, and uh, she became also the spokesperson for women's rights. And uh, at the beginning of this year, 2022, she's now the uh, co-chair of the German Greens uh, while they're in government. So uh, <laughs> we're very happy to have you with us. Yes. Um, let me start with the first question. So after 16 years of Merkel governance in Germany, there was quite some room for like political putting political vision into mm -hmm. action because okay 
she's gone, so she's leaving a big hole, but we're ready to fill it, yeah? So what were some of the points which were more important for you in that mm. sense? I think many people, me including, have a big personal respect for Angela Merkel, who she is as a person, and also which was style she was being as chancellor. But if we look at what she actually did on a material level, we have to see that it was always just kind of like keeping the state quo going and focusing on her presence. So the crisis that, that raised within her time, she acted upon them, but she never prepared for the future. And I think this is what really needs to change the way we are doing politics. By not just saying we're not just reacting, but we are actively preparing for the future. And like you said, I was the spokesperson of the Green Youth, and I have been doing politics for 10 years now. I started when I was 18. And what's really interesting is that Well, in those years, especially the beginning years, when I was proposing coal exit 2030, climate protection, but also, like you said, just transition and climate, <clears throat> climate justice, I often heard things like, well, you're radical now because you're young, but with time you'll grow up and you become more rational. But this notion of rationality actually has nothing to do with a universal understanding of rationality, because what we were doing going against the Paris Agreement, kind of uh, keeping fossil fuels going, making us dependent on fossil fuels, also Russian fossil fuels, which is biting us in the ass now. This was not rational at all. It was the total opposite. And actually, climate protection and also radical climate protection is the most rational thing we can do now. And I think what we really can do as a Green Party, which have, we have been doing for last years, but now we can put it into reality within the government, is really showing that being pragmatic and being in the present, but also having a vision for politics, preparing for the future and really changing something are not contradictory. They can go together. And I think what decisions we really stand for is how we treat change and how we act upon change. Because the conservatives in our country, but also sometimes our coalition partners, the social <laughs> democrats, they like to put forward this notion of, don't worry, nothing will change. But more and more people have been seeing, well, things are already changing, climate changing, the climate crisis, our international peace order, all of this is changing. So we are not actually standing in front of the decision, do we want change, yes or no? We are standing in front of the decision, do we act in a passive way and make the change into something that is happening to us, or do we take the lead in the change? Do we use the change to get more jobs, to get more climate justice? And well, we are posing the second thing and now we can see that it works in reality, which is a great thing. Yes. Well, I mean, that's very inspiring. And uh, I hope that uh, all the women out there <laughs> that uh, are hearing this believe that, uh, you know, being vocal about what you believe and about this perspective of uh, we want to be part of what is happening and we want to, you know, shape this reality, inspire you to go out there and get it. Because look, Ricarda is now the... Uh, co-chair of the German Greens and uh, her perspective has brought also, I'm sure it's not on her own, but she has contributed strongly to bring the party where it is. And uh, you were mentioning uh, this dependence of uh, Russian uh, oil. So Putin's war of aggression started uh, right after the uh, new government took office. I mean, that was very unfortunate. Of course, because, you know, the fact that Europe entered into world, but, uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, oh my God, huh? it took the Greens so long, they entered the government, and it's so unfortunate that the, the, the framework is so difficult. Yes. But what is, 
what is key for you? Why is it especially important that in times like this, Greens are in, in government holding mm -hmm. responsibility? Like you already said, we started with this notion of, well, 16 years of in yes. opposition. And now everything we have been proposing yes. in position papers and speeches, we can finally put this into reality and we formed something called a coalition of progress. So we were really saying after 16 years of a conservative chancellor, we can really change something. And then the war started, yes. which was a hard time for me personally, for us as a party. We have been taking decisions that were not easy for us, but I'm still so glad that we are in this position at the moment because I think what we see is change that is not just based on how we support Ukraine now, what needs to happen with everything we've got, but also what learnings we take from that. And I think I will really see two learnings or maybe three. The first one is transition through trade, wandel durch Handel, mm -hmm. which has been like this paradigm of how mm -hmm. Germans do foreign politics for the last 30, 40 years, has failed. Because first there were there was not much transition happening, but it was only just trade within a, with Russia within the last years, and so this thinking of if we just have really closely knit economic ties with authoritarian states, then there will be no war. Well, now we have the opposite of that. We have a war, but our economic we are so economically closely knit to them that our reactions are really hard to take and it's really hard for us to react upon this war. So I think this really needs to change. Transition to trade has, well, that is on the wrong path. Secondly, we really see that the dependency on fossil fuels is making us weak, is making us vulnerable. And of course, now our main goal, the first goal, has to be to get out of Russian fossil fuels, to not finance Putin's war. But we still need to see that we cannot just take one dependency, get rid of it, and create new dependencies. Because fossil fuels, they always have a tendency to world monopoles. So monopoles in an economic sense, but also in a political sense, that the power that should be in many hands is focused on very, very little hands of, of authoritarian leaders. So we need to get independent of fossil fuels altogether. Our goal is to have 100% renewables until 2035. And with that, we protect the climate, protect our environment, but also our democracy, yes. because wind and the sun, they don't belong to anybody. <laughs> exactly. They actually make us independent. And the third thing, and I think it's really interesting because we also had like federal elections and uh, within this year, Nordrhein-Westphalia, which is the biggest state in Germany, yes. and Schleswig-Holstein, also really important country when it comes for especially to wind energy. And if you look on it, if you would have like the normal thinking of when creams are successful, everything stood against us because we were living in a wartime and in Nordrhein-Westphalia, the biggest subject for people were rising prices. So the, the inflation. So you would have thought, oh, this is a really bad time for, for the German Greens or for Greens altogether. But actually, the opposite happened. Many people trusted us because they see the inflation we see at the moment is a fossil inflation. So the fossil fuels not only have weakened our climate protection, have made us dependent, they also lead to high prices, to social insecurity. So just transition in your end also means just prices and better and stable prices. And I think linking all of this together, you can actually show that through transformation of our economy, we actually defend our democracy. Yes, yes. in fact, I mean, um, it's, really, it's really a pity that... Uh, facts are showing how uh, we were right and finally somehow for the reasons that you know 
that are on the table, but the trust on us and understanding of the citizen is coming and making mm-hmm. us um, becoming more and more relevant. I mean, in fact, the German Greens are unstoppable and uh, we are very happy about this. There is so many Green parties across Europe looking up at the German Greens. You are holding a big responsibility. I'm telling you, don't want to scare you, but uh, there is a lot of... I'm very aware of that. (laughs) No, but thank you for for all this. Just one one last question. Um, What are the next most important steps uh, Mm -hmm. that you see uh, for for the German Greens in government? I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe the biggest challenge or one of the one big challenge that you see ahead of us? I actually think it will be the inflation. Oh, no, it'll be two things. It will be, first of all, keeping up the solidarity with Ukraine. Because we are very clear as the German Greens, also as the German government. But I think what we really need to prevent from happening, and I just met the head of the Ukrainian parliament two days ago, and what they really fear is countries like Germany and also the rest of Europe getting used to this war happening getting to be something that is normal, maybe even getting a little bit tired and feeling like, oh, well, haven't we done enough? No, as long as this war is going on, our solidarity needs to be there. And we cannot forget the people. We may not forget the people in Ukraine. So this is the one challenge. And I think the second one will be the inflation. Because many people, even right now, have so many problems just getting by day by day, buying uh, groceries, getting uh, their apartments heated, And I mean, I think we cannot accept to live in a country where people cannot buy food and don't have enough money. So what we need to do, apart from the fossil inflations or the renewable energies, is to support really swiftly. We did it with uh, social packages, so where we have to pay money directly, but also to improve our social security net. So people, if we have a good child guarantee, if we have a better social system, people will be better prepared for coming crises. So I think... And this also for me, and like you said before, this was also a subject I always like promoted within my own party. Social security will be key for this government to be a success for climate protection and also for the future of the Green Party. Yeah, I think that uh, this is a message that all the Greens across Europe are understanding. Maybe let me just deliver a message from a European Greens. I mean, we also uh, are really very much looking forward for the German Greens to play a proactive role on the finding the next step in European terms. Yes. We are so happy that uh, the Greens are in the government of Germany. We understand that Germany is also going to uh, play an important role and uh, Europe is uh, heading towards a direction that where we understand that we have a lot to say and yeah. uh, where we want to influence. So uh, maybe the message from the European Greens uh, is uh, um, we're very much looking forward to defining together as a family the next step in this fantastic project that, that is Europe. I would really, really like that. And I think this is also something that's so important. You see that especially with Annalena Baerbock, but also with all our people being in government now, Everything we do, we think as Europeans, as European Greens. And because now there's a lot of talk, I just had an interview where there's like the question, does Germany need to get stronger now, play a bigger role? And yes, in many ways we do, but not in the national mindset, but always of European mindset. So if we talk about security now, well, we should not just spend money on a national level. We should really see how do we spend it all together. If we talk about foreign politics, we need a common European strategy. If we talk about transition, it needs to work for all the countries within Europe. So I think this is really, well, our future as the German Greens, but also as Germany is not in a stronger role as a national Germany, but in a stronger role as Europe and a stronger Europe altogether. Exactly. 
Thank you very much, Ricarda. That was such a pleasure. Sure. And thank you for being with us and very much looking forward to hearing further from you. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. You too. Hello, uh, good morning, uh, dear audience of the Green Talking Heads. We are here with uh, Virginius Sinkevichus. He is a uh, former uh, Minister of Economy from uh, Lithuania, but he is the Commissioner uh, of Environment, Oceans and Fisheries since 2019 and one of the uh, closest allies for the Greens in the Commission, obviously. Um, the uh, Commissioner contributes to the development of the European Green Deal through a biodiversity strategy, through implementing a circular economy action plan, working on a zero pollution action plan, contributing to the form to fark strategy. But of course, he also has a say on food security and he, uh, and I quote him, he wants to ensure that the green transition and increased resilience of Ukraine uh, becomes part of the reconstruction efforts. So he's tackling a lot of things and he's here with us today. And we would like to ask him if he can share with us what he could consider a success along these uh, two and a half years. We understand that they have not been easy, but we also heard this morning from him that uh, he has started to traveling again and visiting governments and ministers. So. What are you proud of? Or what can you say you're proud of? Thank you. Uh, first of all, a good morning. And of course, thank you very much for having me. I would say that, to be honest, looking back uh, of these two and a half years, I'll say that they were a success for the European Green Deal, um, despite the constant operational mode of crisis. We had the COVID-19, uh, now we have uh, war uh, in Ukraine. So that, of course, gave additional reasons for those who always were against the European Green Deal, against uh, the Green Deal policies to sort of raise a question, shall we really continue with our transition? And I think, you know, uh, on one hand, you can consider that the success was that the answer was very clearly yes. And that would be a historic mistake to put a Green Deal on hold. Looking back overall in, in those two and a half years, I would say that, you know, a ambitious proposals that we, we have achieved. So first of all is, of course, I'm extremely proud of deforestation legislation, which is the single biggest nature protection act in the world, which will ensure that um, products uh, that are associated with deforestation have no place for uh, to be sold in the European market. And that's basically, you know, a very proud moment for us Europeans to say that we take responsibility for our consumption and that our consumption is not driving and not programming issues in other parts of the world. And then we sort of not running around looking for funds, uh, solutions to solve those issues. But really, in the end of the day, you know, uh, driving, uh, being one of the driving forces of that tragedy. The second thing, uh, which I'm very proud that we have landed, sustainable product policy, which again, completely transforms the way uh, products are going to be uh, designed, manufactured, used, and then, you know, recycled, refurbished after the life cycle of the product ends. 
that also is not only important in terms of that, you know, resources and extraction and processing of them is responsible for 90% of, of biodiversity loss. Um, and it's a 50% of uh, CO2 emissions, but also geopolitically. In the background of the war, we, of course, talked and addressed it a lot in the six sanctions package addressing our dependencies uh, on fossil fuels. But I think not enough, uh, not enough um, attention uh, has been put as regards the, our dependencies on uh, materials, on metals, on minerals, on fertilizers uh, from uh, Russia. So we have to ensure that the Green Deal implemented and uh, it's actually successfully provides the solutions to fight uh, these uh, dependencies. Of course, uh, we should be proud of our climate law, uh, Fit for 55 package, because we are the first region in the world who has not only an ambition of reaching minus 55% of, of emissions by 2030 or 2050 uh, full decarbonization, we have a clear path to it. But uh, as always, uh, with the great ambition and big plans comes implementation part, which is going to be crucial. You've uh, mentioned overconsumption. I think that you're going to have a lot of fans within the Greens because they love this topic. And no, we, we're not very used to be it being tackled by uh, people from uh, in higher instances like you. So thank you for this. Deforestation, product design, biodiversity, climate law. You've mentioned a lot of fields, but you know, the Greens, within the Greens, uh, they're very demanding. Um, and I'm sure, because uh, we have heard you, that you share some of our frustration. Um, so uh, tell us a, a bit uh, what you think are the challenge ahead of you. Are we doing enough? Are we going to be doing enough in view of uh, the, let's say, the challenge ahead of fighting climate change? So I, I think you partly answered uh, your question, you know, because I think the biggest challenge is going to be, of course, implementation. Implementation on the ground, in the member states, on the regional level, and ensure that that implementation is not only, uh, you know, happening, but it also involves people, that people feel the part of the transition. And for some governments, for, for some regional governments, it will be a very difficult exercise. And of course, it will be very easy to blame you know, someone in Brussels in uh, unsuccessful implementation of the transition. But the demand from the citizens, that's what can drive implementation. That's what has driven this agenda two and a half years, uh, for two and a half years. That's what allowed me to propose the extremely ambitious uh, biodiversity strategy. When I look back, I mean, this demand from citizens creates a political opportunities. It opens widely a window for an ambitious agenda to be proposed because at the end of the day, politicians will act and react what the citizens are going to be demanding. And the Green Deal wasn't, let's say, an invention of or a good willingness of politicians. No, it was, first of all, an answer to a call of those citizens who demanded it, who were persistent, who met every Friday you know, having a unified message all across all across uh, the world. And that was a, you know, a, a sort of a driving force behind the Green Deal. So if we really want implementation, we have to continue that. Because, of course, otherwise, the 
sectors who are not keen on changing, who thinks that continuing the status quo, because continuing status quo is always easy. It's always comfortable. Probably it's also uh, profitable. They will, uh, they will prevail, and that's going, that's going to be the biggest historic mistake that we can make. So um, if you've heard Commissioner Sinkiewicz, you probably understand why uh, we Greens feel uh, that he's our closest ally. We understand that uh, probably uh, stating all these things, it's not easy around the table uh, with the rest of the commissioners. So we want to thank you very much for the work that you're doing. And uh, we want to uh, encourage you to keep up with uh, uh, your request for a stronger uh, European Green Deal. And uh, again, thank you for attending the European Green Party uh, Council and very much looking forward to the next step in, uh, in this. So good luck. Thank you very much for having me and let's continue the work together to implement the Green Deal on the ground. Thank you. Thank you. So welcome uh, everybody and uh, uh, today I have the huge pleasure and honor to be having uh, here a conversation uh, with uh, Dritan Abazovic and he is the Prime Minister of Montenegro. He is the first Prime uh, Minister from a junior partner in a coalition, but he managed all his way through it. He's also the uh, first Prime Minister uh, coming from a minority. And we have uh, the proud of announce that he's also the president of the Greens in Montenegro, the president of URA. URA is a, a Green Party uh, that uh, represents or, uh, all ethnicities, that stands for uh, a European, ecological and democratic Montenegro. And uh, Dritan, and his president, uh, is known for standing strongly for democratic principles. Um, I mean, they managed to get a fantastic uh, result uh, despite the difficulties of a system that wasn't entirely fit for welcoming uh, changes. So I have to say that uh, this was a, a super, super success uh, outcome. Um, Dritan um, founded URA with uh, like-minded people uh, with the goal to defend uh, civic rights and to fight against uh, a captured state. And uh, his main goal, uh, he says, uh, is uh, um, the democratic reform that Montenegro needs and uh, to work towards the uh, European integration. But we have him here to explain this himself. And uh, I mean, he hasn't been that long in office, but he has already uh, managed to implement uh, some policies and some changes. And uh, I would like them to share them with us uh, today. So Dritan, just uh, share with all these green uh, people that are listening to this podcast, um, what are, um, or what would you quote as your main successes until now? So first of all, for me, it's a great pleasure to have possibility to, to talk for the, for the green family, like uh, someone who come for one small country, maybe not explored a lot in, in Europe, but uh, which really can give some very positive signal also to big green family in the Europe. The main success of uh, our party, or main success for our government is that uh, finally, after many, many years, I don't want to say decades, but after many, many years, uh, one party uh, finally 
find the solution how to talk with another partners how to bring that what is national interest of uh, montenegro in the first place and finally to deblocate the institution after one period when our parliament was out of function and at, after one period when we didn't have the common language between previous government and the parliament ura become that bridge which bring different parties together for one single goal that single goal is to do everything to make uh, to go faster in eu integration and to change the country in democratic way for only one month in the cabinet i think that we make the pretty huge success first we deblocate the parliament now it's in the full fun- full function we deblocate the government for the first time in history we open government session for the public so make everything very very transparent way and the main success in all these things is that finally rule of law starting to work in montenegro we have two things which are maybe negative for for the image of the country but very positive for the justice is that the key person from judiciary institution are proceed because they participate in organized crime and this is something historical for our country so government in first 30 days explain that nobody is up to law nobody is untouchable and every everybody should be responsible for what uh, they uh, doing in previous period or that what they will do in the next period so i am very very happy because of that i know that we have many challenges but uh, uh, things are going in really right direction polarization of society it's uh, i don't want to say it's eliminate but it's in very low level in comparison with let's say um, some period three or four months ago why now government is very exclusive there are a lot of parties lot of parties in the government also parties which are in opposition for now have the good communication with the prime minister i trying to understand the needs of everybody in in montenegro and i think that pura uh, like a big game changer in our country uh, really try to promote uh, one politics which it's uh, pretty uh, compatible with what greens doing in europe so trying to bring new values in the country trying to explain that people that nothing is impossible if you believe enough in your own ideas and try to promote uh, democratic values it will be a lot of things to do in the next period but i am pretty 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 optimistic just like a conclusion in montenegro nobody believes that some party can cooperate and now every every everybody see that that is possible in montenegro nobody believes that somebody from minority uh, who coming from minority uh, people in montenegro will have possibility to have some uh, let's say high level function in the position in the country and now everybody uh, uh, accept that that is something very logical very rational it's nothing not, nothing special so this is the way how we change the mindset of our society this is the way how we change the our behavior our society that's that's very inspiring and i have to say that um, um you really make us believe that politics is worth and uh, we're really so proud uh, to hear what you're implementing in the sense of uh, making montenegrins believe that uh, um, things can be achieved and that things can change and uh, that is the true power of politics uh, to get the trust of the people that things are possible so uh, we're so proud of you and so happy but we know 
that there is more successes. I just want to maybe you to comment on on two things. You are the first uh, government that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that have a minister for European integration, and uh, or at least we are uh, sure that is occupied by a woman. We also know that you have done a lot of things uh, to achieve uh, steps forward in uh, gender equality. Tell us about this. Tell us about about your ambitions when it comes to European integration and then also uh, your successes when it comes to gender equality. If you ask me, uh, am I satisfied with the number of women in some key position in, in Montenegro, I am still unsatisfied. But if you ask me, is it changed the, that pyramids of the power in Montenegro so Uh, much more women we have now in the key position, in the top level position, that is something we change in a very positive way and we need to keep. So it's not only uh, Deputy Prime Minister uh, who is responsible for EU integration woman and who is my, let's say, uh, right hand, but we come to the one situation which, which is also historical for our country. We have the in the uh, head of the parliament, so uh, now we have Madam Speaker, We have woman who is the president of our parliament and now have uh, this situation that uh, from these three presidents, because our political system is like that, you have the president of the state, president of the parliament and the, and the prime minister, we finally have one woman. I think that it's not enough, but it's a very good step forward and I am very proud that this government really thinks about gender politics. Uh, we need to, to do more in the future. Uh, also, uh, in the way to promote the, the good politics, the politics of, of, of equality. We preparing to open near to the Prime Minister Office for Gender Equality, uh, which will be very mixed in the way that uh, I want to involve not only civil sector and the people who are very well known for working in, in this issue in Montenegro, but also want to include the people from opposition who will have possibility together with government officials to work in promoting the good politics of equality. I think that these are some topics like, like uh, gender politics, like uh, protection of environment, which uh, in our country don't divide society. So I think that uh, um, it's, a, it's a huge consensus and I, I hope that uh, government will, will continue to be successful on that mission. So only if we make the society of equal people, only if we make a society of tolerance, we can uh, calculate on our success. Another way we will stay in the margins of the Europe, in the margins of the, of the democratic society, We really want to join the European family and I think that uh, Montenegro can be a really, really positive example in that part of the world. That's, it's just so inspiring to hear because, I mean, Britain is the example uh, of uh, why it's worth having Greens in government and why uh, Green means much more than just fighting for protecting the environment, but it means to understand the value of equality, the value of uh, gender di or di uh, diversity, the value of the rule of law. And uh, this is what uh, brings me to the next um, question that is uh, a bit more um, based on the challenge that lay ahead of us. And um, I would like uh, maybe you to comment on, uh, uh, you have now inherited a country that has been, as you were saying, for a lot of years, you don't want to say decades, but I think it's uh, uh, 
maybe some of, uh, of them, um, uh, ruled by in a, in a way that it's probably very different and based in very different values than the ones that you are bringing. So tell us, how do you intend to face or what is the challenge that you understand uh, that you have ahead of you when it comes to, to, uh, yeah, to guaranteeing the rule of law in, in Montenegro? The question of the rule of law is, is the most important question for the changing in our society. And uh, this is the big challenge for not only for this government, but I think that uh, also for some next government also was the big challenge for some for, for, for the previous government. And all this question, what we what we discuss, uh, like a protection of environment or gender politics or corruption, they are all connected with the rule of law. Because the uh, situation is pretty simple. If you have the functional uh, uh, judiciary system, if you have the, the really functional institution which can promote the rule of law, I think that all these things, what we mentioned today, can be, can be solved. In another way, we will be in the big problem. But uh, to come back to issues, uh, key issues is the capture state. It's very important to understand that Montenegro, after the crashing of communism on the street in the 90s, have the same government and same people in the power for 30 years. So we didn't come to the simple changing of election since August 2020 when URA made this difference. So for 30 years, we have a lot of politicization, a lot of unprofessionalism, a lot of negative political influence in the institution, a lot of corruption, a lot of networking of the people who was connected with previous previous establishment or previous uh, people who have authorities who have the political power and this is this make a big mess or a concept of rule of law now it's up to us to starting to change the things and i am very proud and very happy because immediately we making something visible finally law should be in the first place our constitution and our law should be in the first place and law and constitution should not recognize people uh, by political background, ethnical background, or every kind of, of background. This is our, our main challenge. The fight against capture state is very hard. Why? Because level of corruption and the organized crime in Montenegro is still pretty big. And institutions are not still ready enough with all capacity to fight against them. This is one problem. So immediately we starting to work in new law for the for the prosecutor, which gives the possibility to change the, the special prosecutor. After we make the refreshing in prosecutor institution, immediately starting to deliver the results. Now we will have big challenges in our parliament to come to the bigger consensus for the refreshing in judiciary in judiciary system. Some people, I'm not talking about everybody, but some people who for many years staying in some position and not deliver the result, it's need to be replaced or it's need to give possibility to somebody else to come with a new energy, with a new new will, with a new, uh, new vision, how we can deliver result in, in rule of law. This is all connected with our EU perspective. So what EU asking from us, it's really okay, and uh, we we appreciate that. It's that we finally need to give results in the chapters 23 and 24, and these two chapters are both connected with the rule of law. And we have the agenda what we exactly need to do until the end of this, this year. So the big ambition of the government is to, to finish that agenda. 
For many years, it's talking about them, and nobody's doing nothing in, in Montenegro. For 10 years, we have same questions on the, on the table. I think that we don't need more than six, seven months to finish that. If everybody, of course, it's not it's not up to URA, it's not only up to Prime Minister, it's up to everybody in the political spectrum understand that this is the key national interest of Montenegro. Yes, fighting against capture state will be very painful for some people who uh, are maybe near to some political structure and was involved in different kind of irregularity in the past. But we are not uh, ready anymore and uh, in new government there is no existing 0% of the will to protect somebody who makes something against the law. And uh, uh, when I uh, speak with my colleagues before we elect the government, I say, uh, look, I understand that uh, we are from different parties and have different kind of, of, of backgrounds and this is for me okay, but you should know that the top priority of the government will be fighting against organized crime and corruption. In the end of the day, everybody understands that that's it's need to, to be done, but many of them still are not ready to go deeply in direct fight with a different kind of structure. But nevertheless, I think that uh, in Montenegro now it's enough people and I trying to complete my, my staff and my office, not only office of the prime minister, but with some changes in police department, with some changes on in prosecutor institution, with some changes in on another part of the system which are connected with the security, to be ready for some, I will not say long fight, but some very, very uh, serious fight against organized crime and corruption. This is only way how we can change our society. In Montenegro, people, the most thing what they expecting is justice. They understand that they will not have some big economical progress in some short period of time. They understand that things also in economy is going well. After the corona, everything is going well. We are a lot dependent for, from tourism and now tourism is in rehabilitation. We have very good uh, last season. We're waiting to have record season this year. But people, ordinary people, most of everything, they expecting expecting to see the justice. And that justice, the, if, if we explain the good way, in rational way, will, uh, will just drive us to the better uh, living standard, to the uh, more, more economical progress, and in the end of the day, to the better uh, living condition in, in Montenegro. But definitely, I think that we will combine capture state and make uh, a serious, democratic, peaceful state uh, in, the, in the heart of the Europe. Wow, I'm really sure that our uh, listeners uh, are uh, capturing the uh, titanic uh, um, challenge that you have ahead. Uh, but uh, you have shown us uh, also through this conversation is that we are, that Montenegro is having a very smart, strategic, authentic, and above all, very brave uh, man leading uh, this country in order to be able to show to the Montenegrin citizens that uh, uh, you're ready to work to guarantee them that, that they're worth, uh, that, uh, and they, they can live uh, freely uh, as any other fellow European. Um, so I just want to thank you very much uh, for uh, sharing uh, this conversation with us. It's, uh, it's an honor to have you among us. 
and uh, we just want to uh, wish you all the best. Um, and uh, we are here also at your disposal. You are an inspiration for us, and that is already uh, a lot. We really thank you for uh, giving us this. And uh, again, we wish you all the best and uh, very much uh, looking forward to work with you this way ahead. Uh, thank, thank you very much for, for this possibility. And I also want to say that we in Montenegro, in URA, also in the government art, are very thankful our uh, Greens friend, uh, European Greens, which uh, really believe on us in the peri in the previous period when uh, a lot of a lot of also our people didn't have uh, uh, so much let's let's say enthusiasm about what will be the future. I think that this everything what will be success it will be the common success, and uh, I think that. Uh, and Greens will play this role of changes everywhere in the Europe in very, very positive, positive way. In the end, it's very important to show the solidarity, to bring people together and to fight for the for the universal values. I think that all together, uh, this, this should be mission of all of us and we are ready to, to continue to give the support. Greens bring the change everywhere. Dritan Avrazovic is uh, the Prime Minister of Montenegro. Thank you and uh, best of luck. Thank you. As Greens increasingly move from being in political opposition to being democratically elected into positions of leadership, from the local to the national to the European level, it's inspiring to hear that the drive to make change doesn't go away but it's also key to learn and exchange amongst ourselves on the challenges our green politicians face trying to tackle the status quo. Thanks for listening into this episode and we hope you enjoyed it. If you liked it, don't forget to share it and stay tuned for part two. And as always, think global and act local. Mm -hmm.